We wouldn't even be talking about reparations today if it wasn't for Callie House. In the late 19th century, she helped launch the first mass reparations movement led by African Americans. Callie House was a remarkable woman. I mean, here you have somebody who was a slave who only went to education in the what we call the uh, elementary grades, you know, K4, 5. Mother was a washerwoman, and she, in fact, was a washerwoman herself. And yet she ends up having enough vision to start a, a pension movement for old people, like, her, you know, the old people who had been slaves at a time when there was no Social Security. Mary Frances Berry is a historian at the University of Pennsylvania and an expert on Callie House. And to do it as a woman at a time in the late 19th century, women did not run organizations that had men and women in them. This is, she's just um, um, incomprehensible in a way, uh, and so unique, and took so many risks and was so courageous. Did you see anything in her early life or young adulthood that might have shaped her activism? Callie House was sitting in church and heard the preacher and this white man who come through there, Mr. Vaughn, come through and talk about how people ought to join an organization that he had that was going to get pensions for the old ex-slaves. And as she listened to what he said, she thought, this doesn't make any sense because, <laughs> first of all, I don't know how he's going to do that. But if he can do that, then we could just do that for ourselves. <laughs> we don't need him to come around signing up people and collecting dues from them. And there was a, uh, a black uh, man who was working with him. She started talking to him about how to do this. So she decided, well, we should just do it ourselves. Why don't we? And she remembered that when she was in school, they read the Constitution. And she said the, Const the Constitution had something in there about, she said, petitioning your government, not petitioning your government. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, we can petition the government ourselves. Mm. So she asked him, how did they go about doing this? And he said, well, they've sent, uh, they paid members of Congress to introduce bills. They've had lawyers with the dues they collected. And what you do is you ask the Congress whether they will, in fact, give pensions to the old people. And that is how she got started thinking about it. So one of the things that you outline quite compellingly is that in the modern moment, the more contemporary moment, when people talk about reparations, one of the things that they say is that you don't have people who are being compensated who directly experience slavery. So it, it makes it very muddy and murky to imagine any kind of compensation that wouldn't go directly to those who suffered the most, you know, profound aggrievements. But you're pointing to a moment in the late 19th century where those, as you describe it, who are literally bearing the welts and the scars of the master's lash are themselves demanding some kind of reparations. And, and just give me some sense about what the mass movement that you're describing, that Kelly House is organizing, is looking like. How does the movement itself really begin to pick up steam? Well, she traveled around. By that time, her children were old enough that the older ones could take care of the younger ones because her husband died, so she was able to leave them there. So she traveled around on trains, going places. They collected dues, five cents, uh, 
uh, whatever people had. And they so they used the money uh, to support uh, this movement and the transportation. The other thing she did, which people very much appreciated, as she traveled around, she had people who could write, sign their names to these petitions. Uh, and the people who couldn't write, somebody else would write it for them. And ev- she said, I'm going to collect the names of everybody who was a slave so that if they ever give us anything, somebody can look back here and see who the people were. There were chapters of this ex-slave pension movement, not just in the South, but there were also chapters in the North. There was a chapter in New York. There were chapters in Ohio. There were chapters uh, out in the black towns. There were chapters everywhere there were any black folk who had been slaves. There were chapters of this this, uh, movement. And so it was uh, nationwide. Now, the Pension Bureau, when it got very concerned about what they were doing and all the meetings, they said, uh, you know, we, we have to go and do something about this woman. Because this woman is dangerous. She, uh, she has these, these Negroes thinking that somebody is going to give them something for their work. And we know we're not going to give them anything. <laughs> so what are they going to do when they find out that we're not giving them anything? So we need to stop her in her tracks. Now, the federal government prosecutes Callie House and basically drags her into court. And I'm curious what their argument was in the case against her. Right. It was the most uh, heartbreaking and frivolous argument. And um, they said that uh, we're going to go after her for fraud. We're going to say that, what is the fraud? At At a time when she knew or should have known that the federal government would never give those Negroes anything, she went out organizing Negroes to try to get something. And so, therefore, that's fraud. Uh, She went out organizing people and sending petitions to the Congress and hiring lawyers and arguing in the public forum, uh, the public square, that these Negroes should get a pension. And she should have known that we were never going to give them anything. And so she was misleading these Negroes. And they were gullible. And she might have been trying to make some money out of it because she might have been collecting the dues to make enrich herself. But the fraud was she should have known that the government would never give them anything. And so she shouldn't have been telling them that they should try to get something. And were there specific agencies that were collaborating in this effort? Yes. The Pension Bureau was the agency with its lawyers that were uh, were af- tracking her and sent the undercover pe- people. And then the Justice Department was the litigation uh, arm of doing this, bringing this litigation. And when they, uh, it was a success of her movement, the fact that it kept growing <laughs> and the letters that they kept getting from these folks in the communities, white folks saying, you know, we don't know what the Negroes are going to do, you know, whatever, whatever, that they decided to go after them because it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they said, we can't control it. And so they put together this litigation strategy, accused her of that, charged her in the federal district court in uh, Nashville, obviously with an all-white male jury, uh, and they lied to the court. They told the court 
that she had no chapters, that this was just something she made up, that there really wasn't any organization. She had just pretended she had an organization. Now, the court, of course, convicted her. And on the day that they convicted her, all of these black people came down to the court and the press reported that they were out there singing and crying and lamenting that it was a great, sad display by all the black people who came from miles around to be there to try to support her. And they convicted her and they sent her off to prison in Jefferson City, Missouri, where the women uh, were sent in those days. Give me a sense of what's happening to the wider reparations movement while Callie House is incarcerated, and is there any sense at all that there are those who are carrying her banner, even if she might not be on the streets? Well, I found that the movement continued while she was in prison and when she got out. Uh, She was not involved, but it, it continued. When she got out of prison, she was sick, and shortly after that, she died. In some places, the chapters became Garvey chapters, Marcus Garvey chapters, because Margaret mm. Garvey supported reparations. Uh, and in other places, they uh, kept their name uh, in Atlanta, for example. And I have a picture of one of the, the people at the Atlanta chapter. They would collect money and go out and help other poor Negroes as a mission that they kept up while they were there, and other uh, places all around the country where there were chapters. They, they just continued on. You can trace from then all the way up to the uh, modern reparations movement with organizations like Encobra and all mm. the rest of them that exist. You have people who came out of uh, those movements and have simply just perpetuated the, the, the cause uh, since that time. So it didn't die. Uh, as a result of them getting her, it it inhibited the movement forward, but the movement didn't die. Well, well, this is one of the things that is just so incredible about this story. I mean, you're you're actually describing somebody in, in Callie House who really is an architect for what becomes longer, deeper streams of black nationalism through the 20th century. So one organization literally is morphing into another one. I mean, you have basically the precursor to the Garvey movement. And as we know, the Garvey movement becomes foundational, not just for Ancobra, but also for members of the Nation of Islam. And then there's obviously other forms of black nationalism that are coming out of that. And yet, with all that we know about people like Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey and certainly, you know, other activists across the South like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, Callie Howes, as as you know better than most, is relatively unknown. And I'm curious about what in your research helps to explain why she's so overlooked. The first thing is that we have a paradigm about what different periods of Black history are supposed to be about, okay? (laughs) And we still think that the late 19th century and early 20th centuries is about W.B. and Booker T. Right. (laughs) Uh, And no matter what you say, and the club women, Rosalind Turbark Penn and others, push them in there a little bit. But uh, basically, it's it's still Booker T. and (laughs) W.B. and the men. And also at a time when we were uh, pointing to great or uh, first among Negroes, mainly, you know, first to get educated, first to do this and that or the other. Here she was, this barely educated woman <laughs> who in many ways for the elites would be an embarrassment, you know, 
and yet here she is up speaking to, you know, people in big groups and going around churches talking to people and have people believing in her and being an honest, poor person <laughs> who uh, is able to do this and have 300,000 dues-paying members that's more than any other black organization had up to that time. I don't know how many have that mem many members now, you know, but uh, to it's just quite extraordinary. But she does not fit the storyline of what black history is supposed to be. And also, so many people don't believe in reparations, or if they do believe in it, they're black people. They're afraid to talk about it. <laughs> so that since she was about pensions, which convert to reparations, then that means that, and it's black nationalism, which some people think that uh, you shouldn't talk about or that that's not really a theme we should be you know, interested in. So you have an effort on Callie House's part to really document who exactly was enslaved, where they were, their experience is obviously going to be critical to any reparations movement. And I'm curious about how we might be able to build directly on Callie House's labor and, and that of her organization, which is namely to say, can we take the actual membership lists that were compiled by the National Ex-Slave Associations in their various chapters and begin a very concrete discussion about reparations? And if we could, what would that look like? Well, somebody needs to go. I tell people, you should go down to the National Archives and look at those lists yourself and find your folk. Uh, and find other people's folk. That's the first thing that you should do. Uh, and then after you do that, somebody should trace, maybe one of the organizations should trace all of these people whose names are there. If, if a reparations ever come to pass, there is an argument for a policy that gives something to descend, slave descendants. I call them American um, slave descendants. Uh, that uh, whether or not they're on that list, uh, because she wasn't able to put everybody on the list. That was her goal, but she didn't achieve that. Uh, but um, there's no reason why you can't start with the people whose names are there <laughs> and say, well, okay, we're not going to try to, you know, give everybody one by one $100 or whatever it is we're going to give, but at least these people we know, and then let's see what we do for the larger group of people. Mary Frances Berry is a Geraldine R. Siegel Professor of American Social Thought at the University of Pennsylvania. She's also the author of My Face is Black is True, Callie House and the Struggle for Ex-Slave Reparations. <laughs> 